0: Welcome, okay, before I do our welcome, we have a, if you want to connect with us, we have a QR code, if you hold your camera up to the QR code, it will pull up the scripture reading that I'm going to be reading here in a minute, and it also has other ways to connect with us, so if you want to do that while I get the welcome ready for you, is it on the screen, no, okay, all right. Welcome to all who are here and all who are online joining us today. Um, Grace Life offers a welcome to you to let you know that you are loved. And we do this every week because just as that song says, we do need reminding. Uh, Sometimes the cares of this world can take over and we need reminding that Jesus is on his throne. So to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Today's scripture will be in Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At the time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And... Anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him, sorry, come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
1: morning. Welcome to Grace Life. My name is Tommy Clayton and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Life and I have the greatest job in the world. Don't be angry that I said that. I know most of you, many of you have jobs. Uh, I have the greatest job in the world because I have the greatest news in the world and every single week I get to come up here to this podium and remind everybody of it that it's true because it's, it's so good, it's, it's so audacious, it's so bold. Our fallen hearts can't fully believe it. We forget. We think it's too good to be true, and we reject it. And we don't know that we reject it because we convinced ourselves that we've embraced it, but yet our lives aren't always changed in the way that this book promises. So every single week, I get the privilege and the honor of coming and announcing this news to people. And I pray that you never get gospel fatigue. We're going to be in gospel of Matthew, as you just heard today, and we're not going to be in Romans because next week is fifth Sunday, uh, and I didn't want to Take a break from Romans, and then go back to Romans, and then 5th Sunday, and then back to Romans. So after 5th Sunday, we'll be right back in Romans. Uh, But today, and and I'll share more about this at the end of the service. There's another reason we're going to be in this passage. We have a special gift for you um, that I think you're really going to enjoy. Some very generous uh, donors have partnered with Crossway Publishing uh, and wanted to put this book in the hands of as many church members as they could. So we'll, we'll share more about that later. But for now, I just want to pause. And pray and ask God to bless our time together and to do what he has purposed to do on this Sunday morning. Of all the Sunday mornings in history, God has a purpose for you and I being right here, seated right where you're at or watching from home. Because he has some very good news for you. And let's pray that the Spirit opens our ears and our hearts and our eyes so that we can see it and experience it and believe it and celebrate it. Lord, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that the air conditioner works today. Um, thank you that we have the freedom to gather here and worship you. We don't have a fear that, that Taliban is going to come in here and, and, and steal the, the young ladies from this room or put a gun to our head for not worshiping Allah um, or not bowing to, to some type of law that we don't find in the Bible. Lord, our hearts are, are broken and are saddened for the people of Afghanistan, both Americans and Um, natives there who are under that terroristic regime right now who's taking control, we pray for them. We, We pray for the church leaders there. Thank you for their boldness. We're inspired and encouraged by it, Lord. They had the opportunity to leave and they stayed at great peril. Many of them, no doubt, have been persecuted and maybe killed. I pray you'd show compassion. Have mercy, Lord. The king's heart is in your hand. You turn it wherever you will. Show mercy to your people there. Show mercy to the people of Afghanistan. Give our government wisdom, Lord, and and strength and courage to do what's right. And I pray for our time together today. May we not be distracted or deterred or hindered by our own flesh, by the enemy of our souls, or by anything else going on, Lord. Help us to face this news head on and, and believe the audacious promises of God with an audacious faith. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter eleven, you can leave your you can leave your Bible opened up today there. today we're going to be talking about the heart of Jesus. The heart of the real Jesus for real sinners and for real sufferers. You know, there's there's a lot of false Jesuses out there, and sometimes there's false Jesuses in here that we create in our image and not in the image of God. And I came across a quote this week that just really gripped me by Ray Ortlund, one of my favorite authors. In fact, the book that we're going to give you today was written by one of his sons, Dane Ortlund. But more about that later. This is what Ray Ortlund said. He said, there are many false Jesuses out there to defraud you right where you need help the most. Right where you need help the most. What's that mean? What's he talking about? Well, our lives so often, if we're honest, they're riddled with failure and worry, and dysfunction, and emptiness. Why that happens is for another sermon. We've talked about that. We live in a fallen world under the curse of sin. It's broken. It's wearing out. It's evil. But when that happens, and it does, and it will, some of you are coming out of trouble. Some of you are about to go in trouble and have no clue. Some of you came this morning and you're in the thick of trouble. And when that happens and we need help, so often we have been defrauded by one of those false Jesuses. And here's the litmus test. Does your Jesus understand? Is He understanding? Does your Jesus welcome you back? Is He approachable? If not, then you've got the wrong Jesus. You need to make a switch. You need to make a correction today because Jesus is about to Not just show us, but tell us who He is, what His heart is really like. Here's a couple of the defrauding Jesuses out there today. On the left, there's the, uh, you disappoint me. You disappoint me. I'm so angry at you. I'm always angry at you. You always let me down. You never measure up. You ever been defrauded by that Jesus? I have. And the other Jesus is, You've got this. You don't even really need me. You're crushing it. That Jesus is out there too, the self-help Jesus. And he will fail you because that's not the real Jesus. We fabricate both of those Jesuses and they let us down. The real Jesus is right there in the middle. Can you see that picture? I have no idea who painted that. But would you believe that I was in, in high school and I played football and lifted weights and rode motorcycles and drove a pickup truck and I had that painting. I don't know where it came from. It hung on my wall underneath a poster of a Honda CR50 and lots of other posters. That poster was on the room beside my wall because it comforted me. Powerful. If you, I don't know if you can't see it. It's a picture of the crucified but risen Jesus holding one of the men who nailed his hands and feet up on the cross. The Jesus who understands, as that verse in Hebrews 4 attests to earlier that Kyle read, and the Jesus who's ultimately approachable. How much more approachable can you get when you're on a cross and your arms are wide open? There's no shame in coming. You're the shame. You bore the shame. You you're, can't be any more approachable or accessible than that or more vulnerable than that. So today we're going to talk about the heart of Jesus. That's what the title of this sermon is and that's really what this passage is, is about. And we're just going to see three truths. Three truths from this sermon about the heart of Jesus. And I'm going to back up just a little bit and and read the passage that comes before this, because point number one is this. Jesus has a submissive heart. He has a submissive heart. And and I know that word is an electric word, and and it makes some of us bristle. I've even been at weddings when I've read Ephesians 5, when it says... The wife shall submit to the husband. And I've seen people visibly cringe in the audience. And I totally understand why. Because they've seen probably the worst possible expressions of that. Maybe in their own marriage. Or in the world. Or at work. Or at church. Or in another home. Abusive home growing up. But Jesus shows us what true submission is. And it's not one that you would cringe at. It's one that you are amazed at. Because check this out. This is almost halfway through Matthew's Gospel. Jesus has done a lot of circuitous teaching throughout this district, Caesarea, Philippi, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Tyr, Sidon. He's been everywhere. He's performed miracles. He's taught. You would expect at this point fruit coming out everywhere. Everybody's following Jesus. They want to lay their life down. They want to follow the Savior. They believe. They submit to him. They're all in. But that's not what happened. And from a human standpoint, Jesus was 100%. He was fully God and fully man. From a human standpoint, this would have probably been the most disappointing time in his life, other than when he walked out of the tomb and nobody was there. And he'd been, saying, he'd been telling people for three years, on the third day, I'm going to rise. This would have been the other most disappointing, humanly speaking, time in Jesus' ministry. Check this out. Verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Verse 25, we transition into our verse. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Let me ask you a question. At your most disappointing time in your life, can you have a heart that fully surrenders and submits to God? as the sovereign sitting on his throne orchestrating history directing your timeline and your lifeline to its ultimate course can you say that yes father thank you father i can't so often i can't i find myself in situations i can't be thankful for because i think somebody needs to fix this boy god sure waste a lot of good power if i was god have you ever thought that have you ever said that out loud i did in my car once i'm like god you're wasting so much power If I was God, man, I'd go to Afghanistan, or I'd go into that home, or I'd come into my home, or I'd go to that church leader. Hadn't you ever thought that? Jesus, no doubt, wrestled with that. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted and tested in every respect. That means even beyond what we were, because we're tested and we fail. He was tested all the way and plunged forward, flawless, spotless, perfect. Jesus can face the same disappointment that you and I face. And he can say, I thank you, Father. This is not what I had in mind. Now, look, I know Jesus is fully God, and I'm I'm not preaching heresy here. I know Jesus understood the divine plan. But you have to understand, Jesus trusted God's Spirit to lead him, just like you and I have to. He became a man. Philippians even said he set aside some of this divine prerogative. He became a human being. He, He grew weak. He got hungry. He got sad. He was in agony. He cried. He had to take naps. Jesus became exhausted. Jesus sweat great drops of blood. Surely Jesus faced the agony of of human disappointment. He did all his, you know that word mighty works, mighty works. You know what that was? All the miracles Jesus did. In Capernaum, he did everything. He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. He controlled the weather. He cast out demons. He healed people. He raised people from the dead in Capernaum. And you would think that they they had never seen miracles like that ever. In their history, in the Old Testament history, no miracles like that had ever been done. Jesus creating things out of nothing, ex nihilo. Jesus commanding the weather and it obeying him. He truly was Lord. They're undisputable feats of power and strength. And Jesus did them, not to show off, to help people, to heal people, to minister to people. And all those people in those cities saw it and they said, meh. That's not really that impressive. We don't really believe That's the thing that has to be the most crushing and offensive to God, not your most outrageous and scandalous and shameful and shocking sins, the things you did on your worst day that you still haven't told people about. It's our indifference to Him. It's our unbelief. And that's what Jesus is calling them out for. They didn't believe. They didn't follow Him. They weren't excited. They weren't even interested. They were absolutely apathetic to all of these things. And in His lowest moment in His ministry, Jesus said, thank you, God, because I know all this is in your hands. You're the Lord of heaven and earth, and I'm fully trusting you. This is not what I wanted. I wanted to save all of them. And he does later. He, he cries out over Jerusalem. Remember? He says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed. How I have longed to cover you like a, like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. I certainly was willing. There's no such thing as a willing sinner and an unwilling savior. You'll never find that, but you will certainly find a willing Savior and an unwilling sinner. This had to be one of the most disappointing times. These people weren't engaged. They weren't changed. They weren't even interested remotely. And yet Jesus says, Thank you, Father, and Yes, Father. And He's emphasizing, Father. You are my Father. I don't, and again, I speak as a man maybe Jesus in his deepest hearts, this is not what I wanted, this is is not what I like, people are dying in their sins, but I trust you, Father. I trust you because you're trustworthy, you're faithful. He had a submissive heart. You know, Hebrews 4, again, the passage Kyle, Kyle read, says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, that verse is simply telling us what this passage is really showing us. Jesus understands disappointment, and Jesus understands pain. He is no stranger to that at all. That verse goes on to say, Jesus is so close with his people in their pain because he has been tempted and tested in every respect. Every strain, every pressure you have ever felt, he has felt. And that's the reason Jesus has such solidarity with us is because that... That trail of tears you're walking right now, you think that's a unique path to you? It's not. It's not. Jesus has walked that, and he survived that, and he had victory in that. So it's not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles, but he is with us in our troubles. He's that kind of high priest. He's able to sympathize. That means in Greek, he (laughs) co-suffers. Isn't that really what we desire the most when we're in pain? is for somebody to just be in pain with us. And I know some of that gets sinful and we want co-misery, but Jesus addresses that. He, He crawls down in our pit with us and He says, I'm here. He understands. Jesus knows what it's like to be thirsty and hungry and despised and rejected and scorned and embarrassed and shamed and misunderstood and falsely accused and tortured and suffocated and murdered. He understands all that. He knows what it is to be lonely when you need friends the most. Have you ever just felt your loneliness? Maybe even you're surrounded by people, you just felt all alone. Nobody's ever felt that more than Christ. In fact, one person wrote this. Had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfollowed Jesus when he turned 33. He who will never unfriend us. may sound irreverent, but he's trying to put ancient truth in modern shoe leather. The next chapter in Hebrews says he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Ignorant and wayward. You know, there were two ways to sin. Uh, inadvertently or unwillingly, like, oh man, I didn't know that was an unclean food and I ate it. Whoops. Didn't mean to. And then there's the, the wayward, the intentional, the deliberate, the strategic, the premeditated. The Old Testament calls that unintentionally or with a high hand, Right? Haven't we all done both of those? And this verse in Hebrews 5.2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. He understands. He's not put off. He's not shocked. So that's the the author's way of including everybody. He is calm. He is tender. He is restrained. Do we deserve that? (laughs) We don't deserve that, but Jesus offers that. So don't think for a second. Jesus can't understand the disappointments in your life. That career choice that that you chose that tanked or that is stripping your gears, or if you're in the healthcare sector right now, your gears probably really feel stripped. You probably really feel exhausted and wearied and maybe forsaken. Your longings to have a family of your own and have children Have a spouse that never materialized? The marriage you thought you had that turned sour? The spouse you thought was your partner for life that turned away? Kids going astray? Sudden loss? Chronic sickness? Money issues? Pervasive sadness? Depression? Sinfulness? Abuse? Jesus knows all that, and He understands all that. He is a submissive heart. That means he has an understanding heart. That means he gets you in a way that nobody else gets you. Have you ever just felt misunderstood? Like nobody understands me. That can never be said of Jesus. Jesus understood that his father's plan was being carried out meticulously and he was fully surrendered to it. Even when it brought heartache and pain and grief. He was surrendered to the plan because he trusted the planner. So that doesn't mean it's you can't weep and you can't grieve. Go ahead and cry. But just know that you're, you're not alone. Jesus cried. Jesus is on His throne and we can bow to His wisdom. Jesus is rolling with God's plan. His prayer shows that. And then what Jesus says next is what I really want to focus on because He says, okay, this is a different plan than I thought everyone would You know, and by the way, those were self-sufficient, maybe affluent cities where people didn't need Jesus. They had all these other amenities. But listen to what he says next. He says, You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, people who are helpless, people who are dependent. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now this is pretty astonishing what's about to happen next because Jesus is just saying nobody understands God. He says nobody understands me except the Father. And nobody understands the Father except for me. And that means fully understands, completely understands. And then what Jesus says next and does next is really jaw-dropping because He says, and I'm about to Reveal the Father to you. Even to those cities who rejected him. What grace, what compassion and mercy. Says, You've rejected God, you've rejected me, but I'm about to show you the the real heart of, of who God is and what he's like. What a privilege. Nobody has ever been able to do that. You remember Jesus told Philip the night of his arrest when they were having the Last Supper together. Philip said, Show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us. And remember what Jesus said? He says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. (laughs) Have you been with me so long, Philip? And you don't understand, I've been showing you who God is and what God is like for three and a half years. You still don't get it. Because it totally blew blew their minds when Jesus came and says, I'm God in human flesh. This is what God is really like. So what is God like? Look at, these, look at these famous verses. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Can you believe, my friends, war, he, the English language would, would fail me, and I've prayed last night and early this morning, Lord, words would fail me to explain how shocking this must have been to the people in that audience who were listening, and I want this to be shocking to us because that tells me you get it. This is so unlike the image and the and the view of God. So many people have. Even some people that are sitting in a church this very morning, they can't, they've read this, they've heard this, they've seen it on stenciled on walls and in Christian books and heard songs sang about it, sung about it, whatever the tense is. But still the penny has not dropped for them that this is God. <laughs> Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what is What's this part of the heart of Jesus? It's a welcoming heart. God has a welcoming heart, and that's the exact opposite of what people thought. In fact, that was what was so offensive to the critics of Jesus. You remember whenever Jesus told the most astonishing parable he ever told, the most famous? What was it? The prodigal son. It was more like the prodigal God, the prodigal father, wasn't it? Because no father, Middle Eastern noble father would ever do what that father did. Shamed as he was by his prodigal son. But you know, the very beginning of Luke 15, what it says, it says, now many, when the Pharisees and the scribes saw this and heard this, they grumbled at him saying, this man eats with sinners and with harlots and with tax collectors. They grumbled. And then Jesus told three parables. One was about a lost coin. One was about a lost sheep. And the other one was about a lost son. And he's showing them, do you not understand? This is your This is God's heart. This is your Father's heart. He has compassion. He has longings. He has a welcoming heart. Come, come to me. It's simple, but it's profound and it's clear. And knowing the master teacher that Jesus was, how everything he used at his command, a bird and a tree, a river flowers. Don't you know that Jesus had to have stood there with outstretched arms and gestured to himself and said, come to me. He looked at all of those rebellious, unrepentant cities and said, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He's saying, are you spiritually exhausted? Are you desperate? Are you weary? Have your gears been stripped? Are you tired of the hamster wheel? Have you had it up to here with the religion that says, do better, try harder, pedal faster. Have you had it up to here with that? Then come to me. I'm what you've really been looking for your entire life. You've been looking in the wrong places. One man said, when a guy walks into a brothel, he's really looking for Jesus. He just does, he just doesn't even know it. He's looking for final satisfaction and rest. In a very perverted and, and twisted way, but he's really looking for something that Jesus alone can offer that will fully satisfy him and finally satisfy him so that he doesn't get thirsty again. Men go places, women go places, men look at things for satisfaction that Jesus has already offered, but they've rejected. And this is the great reminder this is why the gospel's ultra relevant to us. Jesus stands with open arms, bidding you, inviting you, beckoning you. I would even say begging you to come to him. And that's offensive to some people. Oh, come on, Jesus doesn't do that, but he does do that. He does do that, not just here, all over the New Testament. I think, I think this has become white noise to so many people in churches. It's become white noise. It's become, they just, they've heard it so often, they've just presumed on it and almost forgotten the power of it. We just can't hardly envision a God who's that gracious to us. It's just too incomprehensible and unbelievable. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon wrote this. Come, he drives away none. He calls them to himself. His favorite word is come, not go. Go to Moses. Come to me. To Jesus himself we must come. By a personal trust, not to doctrine, not to systems, not to religion or ministry or we to come first, but to the personal Savior. Come to me, what an image. See, we would expect, in our minds, this fraudulent Jesus who defrauds us, he says, stop, not so close. Stop, stay, be careful, go. I mean, we're in a world of exclusivity and clicks, And everybody else says that. Show me your credentials. Show me that you belong here. Prove to me that you belong here. Isn't that every other religion in the world? I talk about this every week, it is. And so often that's other leaders in the world. That's other people who have barriers and obstacles to you being in a relationship with them. You've got to prove yourself worthy. And Jesus only has one qualification. One qualification for you to come to him. What is it? Need. <laughs> Need, exhaustion, desperation. That's it. All you've got to do is open yourself up to Jesus. That's all he requires. That's where the bar is. And you would say, well, that's such a low bar, but not in the minds of people, that's a high bar. They can't overcome it. If you would tell people, hey, go get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West (laughs) and climb the tallest cedar tree you can in the Lebanon forest, and then bring those to me and I'll let you in like the Wizard of Oz or something. We'd almost feel better about ourselves that actually we earned it. But it's grace that's so repulsive and offensive that you do nothing. He did it all. You come based on his merits, his sweat, His blood, His earnestness, His obedience, His performance, not yours. That's the gospel. That's Christianity. That should be attractive, but so often it's repulsive to people. You're meaning I do nothing? I don't do anything? No, you come. You come. That's what you do. Jesus is not distant, and He's not aloof. His welcome is sincere and genuine. He means it. He doesn't say, hey, um call me. Call me or text me. Have your people call my people. Have you, has anybody ever invited you to something and just bro- broke your heart? Because you knew, you knew they didn't mean it. Maybe they, they said it around certain company. I mean, we live in a world like that, don't we? I remember growing up, wealthy people duck hunted where I'm from. I'm from the duck hunting capital of the world in Arkansas. And that was a huge deal to people. But the people that went duck hunting, I'm just getting real this morning, okay? The people who went duck hunting had a lot of money. They had a, a cabin. They had a cabin on the river, and it cost a lot of money. And they had fancy shotguns, Remington, eleven hundred pump. <laughs> it was like a thousand dollar. I didn't have a thousand. I just had my, you know, my twelve gauge, my t- whatever, twenty gauge Mossberg pump, Walmart brand, two hundred dollars. You had to have, you had to be connected. It wasn't. It was who you knew to go duck hunting. And I had some friends that duck hunted all the time. And they would always say, Tommy, I'm going to take you duck hunting. And I wanted to. I loved hunting and fishing. I did it all my life. They said, we're going to take you, man. We're going we're to go. And I'd be, all right. All right, let's do it. And they're like, yeah, just, just, uh, just call me, man. We'll go. And I would hear there's a big duck hunt. And that you know, that's not how, you don't call people and say, hey, I heard you were going duck hunting. So I would just wait, man. I would wait. And you know what I came to understand? They didn't mean that. They, did, they didn't want me there. They did not want me there. I did not belong there. I knew that I didn't belong there. They knew that I didn't belong there. But it still hurt when they pretended Don't you love the fact that there's no pretension with Jesus? Everyone's invited to his party. (laughs) Everyone. Everyone belongs. He's welcoming. No such thing as a willing sinner and an unwilling Savior. This is good news, and this is unchanging news. You would say, but but what if he changes his mind? But Hebrews 13.8 says, this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, that may be one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. I've heard people ask me, hey, so when we're in heaven a billion years, how do we know? How do we know that he's not gonna same Jesus. Yesterday, today. This Jesus that you're reading about right now, come to me. He's saying that to you right now. Right now. Same Jesus. Same offer. Same promise. See the good news out there changes. Stock market's up, stock market's down. We're in control of this country. We're not in control of this country. The economy's good. The economy's bad. It's in remission. It's not in remission. It's coming back. News changes every day. And we, we, put, we, we put all of our chips on, on news that changes and is fickle, and people that change and are fickle. Organizations that change and are fickle. Don't you dare trust in this church or church in the, trust in the leaders of this church, even though I think we're trustworthy. Don't you dare put all your chips there. You will be disappointed. Not because there's some scandal brewing, but because I'm a human. This news about Jesus never changes. You're safe. You're safe. Putting all the weight of your worship and expectations and thirst and desperation and need on Him. Anywhere else you put it, on your family, on your kids, you'll crush them. You will break your family. You will break your friendships. (laughs) You'll become what's called codependent. You will smother them. Nobody ever smothered Jesus. People tried to protect Jesus. Do you remember that? Little children were coming to Jesus because this is his heart. They got it. Children get it. They ran to him and the disciples said, whoa, time out. What are you doing? He's busy. He's too busy. You understand this is the rabbi. He's the Messiah. He doesn't have time for children. There's only one time in the New Testament, okay, twice, that Jesus was angry. You know, one of them was when the disciples forbade children from coming to Jesus. It says he grew angry he grew angry and he said don't you dare this is the kingdom of god right here there's no little people in god's eyes they're all they're all valuable they're all beautiful and they're all sinful and they need him desperately it's good news we're fickle but he's not john 6:37 whoever comes to me i will never cast out that's a powerful promise Whoever comes to me, when you're in, you're in. When you're in, you're in. That's cosmic assurance. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need cosmic assurance every single day. Every single day. Okay, final point. Final point is that Jesus has a gentle and lowly heart. And this is the most unbelievable thing of the whole passage, really. In fact, the book that we're going to give you is called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, the whole book's not about this passage, just the first chapter. But man, it's so good. I want to put that material in your hands. There are four gospel accounts in the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all about the life, the birth, the life, death, resurrection, and ministry of Jesus. 89 chapters. This is the only time in all four. Of those accounts of Jesus that he talks about himself and describes himself. It's as if there's a sit-down, there's a panel, Q&A up here, and Jesus is sitting here, and somebody raises their hand, and they say, hey, Jesus, tell me about your heart. And he uses two words. Jesus had every word in Greek at his command, and there's a lot. Greek is a beautiful and powerful language. That's why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. No better language could you use to express God and his will than Greek. And Jesus had every word available to him at his disposal, and he chose two. And he says, well, I'm glad you asked because I've been wanting to share this with you. I am, what two words would you, now listen, there's a test for you, Grace Life. If somebody were to inject truth serum into you or threaten you with a weapon of some kind and said, you've only got two words to tell me the heart of God, what is it? What would you use? Because I can tell you, Back in the day, now look, don't you be angry at me because you, be, you may be right where I was at back then. And there's certainly, there's, there's a gazillion words we could use and they'd all be right. I would have said, he's sovereign and he has authority. I would have said those two words. And I wouldn't have been wrong at all because Jesus is. Jesus commanded attention. No man ever spoke like him. Jesus positioned himself as the ultimate judge. But remember, here's Jesus talking about himself. The only time he ever talked about his heart, and he used two words, gentle and lowly. So, are you tracking with Jesus? Are those the two words that you most think of when you think of Jesus? When you've failed, when you've sinned, when you need to repent and own up and open yourself up to God, if those aren't the two words that come into your mind, you need to recalibrate right now. Because there's something about those words that's so attractive, so appealing, he's so approachable, he's so accessible that I'll be honest with you, that thrills me. I want to obey somebody like that. We know that, don't we? The heart of the person whose authority you're under, man, that matters. Jesus doesn't just care about your obedience. He cares about the reasons for it. I was in kindergarten. I may have told you this story before. I grew up up going to kindergarten like all of you, right? (laughs) I was in kindergarten, and I had a teacher. I'm sorry, honey. I was in love with her. Her name was Miss Henry. See, she had long, beautiful, ginger red hair, She was gorgeous, and she got engaged to the PE teacher, and I wanted to kill him. I was only five. (laughs) Man, I loved that teacher. I loved her. She was gentle and lowly is what she was. Gentle and lowly. I felt like she understood me. Now, my mom and dad did too, obviously, but at school, you're with a teacher eight hours. You know, she knew I needed chocolate milk right after my nap. She just knew everything about me. (laughs) And I never never felt scolded by her. I, I always felt like she was so approachable. And, and I was a mischievous kid, man. I loved to fight. I got in fights all the time. I got suspended and expelled from elementary school for hitting a girl. Just to tell you, that's your pastor, okay? True story. I know. I know. I've learned. Don't worry. I don't hit girls anymore. Um, <laughs> There's an event. I still remember. I'm haunted by it to this day. There was a five-gallon aquarium in the kindergarten room. And everybody took naps in kindergarten, probably, but me, okay? I just, I, I don't know why I didn't need them, Um or I didn't take them. I was maybe planning out the next thing. But something happened to that five-gallon aquarium during nap time. It cracked, and then eventually it shattered, and goldfish, and glass, and gravel went everywhere. And I don't know who lied to Miss Henry, if I find them, (laughs) but something about that accident and Tommy Clayton connected in her mind, and she she couldn't disconnect them. In her mind, Tommy Clayton broke that aquarium, and that was like the fish mask, the The kindergarten mascot, or whatever. And she scolded me and reprimanded me in a way that crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. Still does to this day, to be honest. I'm crushed by it because she believed something about me that wasn't true. Her understanding was interrupted for one day in the life of my kindergarten. I would have done, and, and here's why it bothered me I wasn't angry, I was grieved by it because. I wanted her to be pleased with me and happy with me because she had lavished such love and care and attention on me. Man, don't we all? Don't we need teachers like that? And they're out there. Praise God! Some of you are teachers like that. There was another teacher that was a substitute, and her name was Miss North. And I can't think of a more appropriate and fitting name for a substitute because she was ice cold. Man, when she showed up, I wanted to get sick and go to the nurse's office and go home. She was mean. She wasn't approachable. She wasn't compassionate. She wasn't gentle and lowly. It would have been, ha, ha, Miss North, gentle and lowly. Yeah, right. And you know what? I wanted to act out. I wanted to get her in trouble. I wanted the principal to see that she couldn't control this room, so she'd get fired. Uh, she was austere. She was harsh. She was demanding. Hey, Do you, you guys get the point? The reason Jesus is telling this about himself is because he, he is the most approachable person in the universe, There's no one more understandable or accessible or approachable than Jesus. And he proves it by describing his very heart toward us. His very heart. It's gentle and lowly. There's only three times that word for gentle is used in the New Testament. It means meek. It's used in Matthew 5. Blessed are what? The meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Which, man, that's that's a changer too, isn't it? We don't typically think of meek people inheriting the whole world. We think of the powerful, the controllers, the movers and shakers, the wealthy people. They get it all, right? Jesus says, no, the meek, the meek people. You know what the word meek actually means? It means incredible power under great restraint. It's used in Greek literature for a stallion that had been tamed and trained. You know, horses, I grew up on a the farm, they could kill you very easily if they wanted to. If you're within range of their back hoof, they could take you out easy. Great power under control. In fact, I would say you can't even use that word gentle unless the person you're describing is strong. And I think Jesus qualifies, doesn't he? He says, I'm gentle. I could crush you like a bug. I could destroy you with a look. But I'm meek. I'm gentle. Oh yeah, I know where I was. It's used three times. So it was used, the blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. It was used of Mary, her magnificat. She says, uh, the humble... Uh, The proud he has torn down, and the humble he has elevated, and it's used here, and it means meek, humble, and gentle. And you just that just blows people's minds when you think of gods. You think of gods that are represented in religions like Zeus, or just fill in the blank, whatever false god or goddess you have. Gentle and lowly? No, no, couldn't be, couldn't be. He's gentle and lowly. He's accessible. He's holy. He's just, but he has open arms. Constant access, especially for those that are worn down by religion. Do you know how worn down they were? You know Jesus confronted the Pharisees and he says, Woe to you. You place heavy burdens on men that they're unable to carry and you won't help them. You won't lift one finger. I mean, not only the burdens of the law, that's what they constantly harped on, but they would add things that weren't in the law, that were in the Mishnah. You can only walk this far on a Sabbath day. Just ridiculous stuff. And Jesus called him out. He said, That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm approachable. I'm open. And I'll give you rest. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I have a yoke that's kind and that's easy. That's what he said. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. Think of the worst authoritarian you've ever been under in your life, whether it was a parent, God forbid. Whether it was a teacher, whether it was a boss. And just the opposite of that would be Jesus. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, it's open arms. Massive power under control, gentle. And lowly means humble, it means socially unimpressible. Socially unimpressive. There was no beauty in him that we would desire him or look at him, Isaiah 53. In other words, you, you go to a party and here's this person over here and those, they're so powerful and popular, you can't get to them. Jesus uses a word to describe himself to let you know there's a straight line to access with him. He's not too busy. He's right there. He's waiting. In fact, everyone else in the room is finding somewhere, somebody else to attach themselves to. Dane Ortland wrote this. Who could have thought up such a Savior? Jesus is not trigger happy, harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. For all his blinding glory and dazzling holiness and transcendence, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. And the minimum requirement to find his embrace is simple. Open yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it's all he works with. See, we think Jesus just tolerates us because we're insignificant. That he treats us like a rescued pet on probation. (laughs) We're still not sure. May have to give it back. No, it's settled. Jesus has come to me. You're mine. I want you. I want you. When he talks about his heart, whenever you read the word heart in the Bible, it means the animated center of who you are. It's what most excites you, what most drives you. Mission Control Center. Jesus saying, this, this is who I am. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, my heart just goes out to them? We say that all the time. I've said that over and over this week, looking at clips and images of the Middle East, what's going on over there. My heart just goes out to them. This is Jesus saying, my heart, my heart goes out to sinners and to sufferers and to flawed followers who need repentance and need restoration. My heart truly goes out to them. When I was little, my dad would take my hand and he would put it on his chest and say, Son, you feel that? You hear that? Or we would have one of those cheap toy how you say it? That thing. It was cheap, but you could hear the heart, you know? This is Jesus doing that. This is Jesus taking your hand and saying, Do you want to feel the heart of God? Do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear what it's like? Let me have your hand. This is God's heart for you. He's gentle and he's lowly. Want to get in on that? Do you want to get in on that? So we say, sure, Jesus helps people. He helps all kinds of people. But is he happy about it? Isn't he aggravated that we do it over and over again? Thomas Goodwin wrote a book called The Heart of Jesus, He was a Puritan in the 1500s, 1600s, and this is what he said. Man, this is so good, and I hope you understand it. I I tested it on my wife. I don't don't know. We'll We'll see how it goes. She was half asleep. This is what he wrote. Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by blank. How would you finish that sentence? Let me read that again. I'll, I'll replace Christ with Jesus because it's easier to pronounce. Jesus' own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by. Here's how he finishes His showing grace and mercy and pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. What enlarges and increases your happiness and joy? Vacation? Dinner? A nap? A new streaming series on Netflix? What is it? What what enlarges and increases your capacity for joy? Jesus says, sharing my heart by pardoning people and restoring people. That makes him as happy as the most exciting thing you could ever think of in your life. You feel it. Whatever excites you the most, Jesus is telling you, his reaction is when he's helping sinners and sufferers. That blows my mind because most people think Jesus is angry, Jesus is disappointed. This will be the last time he'll ever embrace me. See, that's why this is so unbelievable. People have just been programmed to not think that way about God. Sure, your sin grieves him. Sure, he weeps over it. But this promise, his heart is still the same towards you. He still wants you back. He still does. He's not reluctant. Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus says, for the joy, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What got Jesus through those darkest moments? Did he have to grit his teeth? clench his fist and say, these people aren't really worth this. I can't believe I'm doing this. This was a mistake. Nope. For the joy that was set before him, he looked to the joy of what his sacrifice would do and mean to you and me. And he said, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I've told you this before, nails did not keep him on that cross. Love did. Love kept him up there. Ray Ortland wrote a book on pornography for, for men. He wrote a book to help men, okay, make, make sure I get that clear. And I'm, and I'm reading it with some friends right now, and I came across this, and I thought, man, um, the real Jesus attracted failures, exiles, rejects, underachievers, weaklings, compromisers, and losers, the scum of the earth. Every kind of defeated, fed-up sinner found a welcome with him. It was the above-it-all religious elite who hated his guts. But the guilty, the unwashed, he didn't merely tolerate them, he befriended them. He wasn't exhausted by them, they energized him. He knew full well who they were, where they'd been, what they'd done and would do again, and what they would cost him. Yet he was for them with all of his heart, and he is for you. Isn't that powerful? See, I read books like that. Those books help me. Why were the people so upset about Jesus? Because here was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, a moral man. And yet immoral people felt hopeful around him. Pharisees did not like that. And sometimes we don't like that. (laughs) The only thing Jesus needs from us is our exhaustion, our failure, our sins, and our sorrows. Only he can truly quench your thirst and satisfy your longings. So I'm going to extend that invitation. And it's not just for unbelievers. If you're here and maybe the penny hasn't dropped in your heart, you've not fully understood that Jesus died for sinners. Yes, for your sins. He died for your sins. He wants to forgive you and to restore you and cleanse you. He wants you to follow Him. He wants you to turn away from that life of sin that's dragging you down and wearing you out. And it's not working anyway, right? (laughs) We all want to be self kings and we want to crown ourselves and we don't want to be we want to be autonomous and independent but Jesus is asking you right here how's that working for you (laughs) how's it working for you doing life on your terms choosing wisdom on your terms choosing following God on your terms and not his how's that working for you and he says that's what I thought I already knew that I understand now come to me mutiny is exhausting will you come to me will you lay your weapons down will you lay your false religion down leave it behind will you leave your those false Jesuses that have defrauded you, wipe them clean and come to the real Jesus who helps real sinners and real sufferers. Come to him. Come to him. Last, last thing here. Uh, he, he mentions a yoke. Oh man, I had something about Rivendell from Lord of the Rings. But I, I'll talk too much about Lord of the Rings. My wife gave me a, a warning. So, sorry Aaron. Had to wait a couple weeks. Let some time go by. This is a a yoke, and and scholars debate on what kind of yoke Jesus had in mind here. In the Middle East, of course, oxen would be yoked together. And you heard the warning, don't be unequally yoked. That would mean like there's an oxen and then there's a cat, you know. (laughs) Uh, That's not going to work. You can't pull the plow. And when an unbeliever marries a believer, you're unequally yoked. That's why the Bible warns about that. That's trouble. Um, Most likely, Jesus meant a typical standard way that people would carry heavy things back then. And man, after seeing this picture, I think I want to try that because I've, I've hurt my back carrying things the wrong way. Jesus gave us a strong back for a reason, right? This would be a yoke. You would put this yoke on your neck, and you would put your weight on the yoke, and you would carry it. And Jesus wants to describe what it would look like coming, coming to him and being in his kingdom. He says, my yoke, my yoke is easy, it's easy. It doesn't rub you raw, it doesn't rub your flesh raw. It's an easy yoke to put on you. It's, it's almost like a non-yoke. And he says, "And this burden is almost like a non-burden. It's a light burden, because I help you carry it. Sometimes teachers would refer to their teaching as a yoke. Jesus is saying, "I'm both the teacher and I'm the subject. You've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to fear. In fact, one person said this, this yoke and this burden would be for us what helium is for a balloon. It will carry you. I like that image, don't you? Man, I got this yoke and this burden for you. Are you ready? And then that loud noise at Publix when they blow the balloon up. And you're like, here you go, kid. If you're walking with Jesus, his burden is your burden. And he wants you to continually give that burden to him. There's two kinds of people that carry burdens in the world. The one kind is like me. They're dumb. They're stupid. When I help people move sometimes and I hold out my hands and I just really want to impress them and I'm like, pile it on me, baby. You ever do that? More. And now give me more and more. I can handle it. More. More. I tried to find a picture of somebody doing that. I couldn't find it on the internet. If you find it, send it to me so I can put it up here. And then then there's the other kind who somebody piles it on them whether they want it or not. And they're just too timid to say anything. So there's the naive kind, and then there's the the dumb kind like me, and both of those will wreck you. They will wreck you. Jesus promised rest, and a better translation is relief. Maybe it's less misleading. People just think, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to come to Jesus, and I'll get a full, tight 12 hours tonight. That's not what he's talking about, but that is a picture to help you understand spiritually what he offers. Have you ever had the best night's sleep ever? maybe without any help from melatonin or Unisom or essential oil or whatever. It was just you were so exhausted, and, and you know, if you lived by yourself, it just no neighbors were loud, no alarms, your phone didn't ding. You just woke up refreshed. Jesus says, I offer that to you for all eternity spiritually. How would you like that? You say, man, what's it going to cost me? And Jesus says, it won't cost you anything, but it will cost me everything. It will cost me everything. Now there are some human costs. We know because Jesus said count the cost, right? Following Jesus, following Jesus is, is not easy, but it is glorious. He bears the full weight of the cost. It cost him his life, and Jesus gave it gladly. He gave it willingly. So here's the last quote, and we're going to pray and be dismissed and have some exciting announcements. Dane Ortlund said this. He's the guy that wrote this book we're going to give to you. It is impossible for the affectionate heart of Christ to be over-celebrated, made too much of, exaggerated. It cannot be plumbed, but it is easily neglected, forgotten. We draw too little strength from it. And he said, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. You know, for many years, when I would talk about the love of God, I felt like I had to not apologize for it, but I felt like I had to qualify it. I had to say, now I'm going to talk about grace and love and compassion today by God, but but I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. I take it serious, and I, I believe in hell, and I believe in judgment. I felt like I always had to qualify that. Like almost I was embarrassed to talk about the love of God, but now as I read the Bible, it's just the pervasive theme in all of Scripture. God's covenant love, his hesed, his covenant faithfulness, and Jesus came and embodied that in, in human flesh. In fact, one person said Jesus Christ is a man that is love in, in, embodied. He's love covered with human flesh is what Jesus is. So I don't feel like I have to apologize anymore because I, and thank God nobody here has ever, ever asked me to do that. I think most people have failed to reckon with the love of God, and I wouldn't want that to be said of anybody at our church. Reckon with the love of God today. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus Christ towards you and towards me right now. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. My yoke, take it upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light and I will give you rest. Are you ready? Do you want that rest? Do you have it? Jesus is waiting. Let's pray. Lord, thank you For this time you've given us, thank you for these clear and powerful words and images from from Jesus Himself. Help us to believe when our hearts don't want to believe, when our hearts have built up barriers of rejection and excuses, and this can't be right. I pray for people, especially, that have fallen into sin or stumbled into suffering, Lord, and they feel alone right now, they feel rejected, they feel misunderstood. They feel like you're far away, Lord. May this be a powerful reminder to them, an invitation back to reality that you're approachable, you're accessible, you understand, you welcome them. This is your very heart for them, Lord. And I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think these guys are going to sing, a, uh, play a reflection song, a Selah song. And we're going to have our prayer team in the back. If you want to pray about anything, if you want to get counsel, if you want to cry, uh, if you want to confess a sin, if you want to ask for prayer for healing, you can go back there during this song. Or if you want to know, like, how can I know that I've really came to Jesus, confess my sins, repent it, ask for his forgiveness, believe the good news that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a horrible substitutionary death for me and rose from the grave. How do I know that I've really believed that and that I'm a follower and a disciple? You come back here. We'll be back there. Or maybe you just want to sit in your in your seat and just be marvel and be amazed at Jesus the Galilean right? <laughs> the Nazarene, sorry. Got that song wrong. It's okay to do that. There's no to-do list here, okay? Just sit and marvel, sit and wonder at the grace of God. And then we're going to have some announcements and we'll dismiss, amen.
2: Sadness from wherever you've been come broken hearted let rescue begin come find your mercy O oh sinner come kneel Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, and all who are broken, lift up your face, oh wanderer. So lay down your heart, lay down your heart, come as you are.
3: Oh for the place and all those who strain, see and the table, and come taste the grace there's rest for the weary there's rest that endures this earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure so lay down your burden.
2: no sorrow that heaven can't you. earth has no sorrow that heaven can't you. so lay down your burdens lay down your shame and all who are
3: up your face
2: Thank you that we can come just as we are, Father. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you, Lord, that, Lord, I pray that you just open up their eyes to their need of a Savior, Lord, and the only Savior is you. Lord, I pray as we go out throughout the week, Lord, that we can be the light in our communities. Whether we're at the grocery store or at our workplace, Lord, let us just share your love and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the dying world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, TJ. Um, Just a couple of announcements um, for us before we head out today. Um, Tommy had mentioned next Sunday is our fifth Sunday service. Um, And if that's new to you, uh, every time a Sunday, there's five Sundays in the month, um, we Have a family style worship. So, all of the kids, nursery through fifth grade, um, join us for a a shortened uh, family style worship service um, outside under the um, overhang, um, you know, not in direct sunlight. We live in Florida, so we got to be in the shade. But, um, so That being said, dress comfortably. Um, For next week, um, we'll be outside. Um, We'll have that um, time of family-style worship. Um, We'll celebrate baptisms and new memberships. Um, And then following the service, we'll have a time of fellowship. And um, we will have a boxed, uh, catered lunch. Um, So invite a friend, a neighbor, someone that you've been. you know, maybe sharing the gospel with or um, just getting to know and uh, you feel like that this might be a, um, you know, more relaxed and, um, you know, great opportunity for them to come, know that this isn't just for us in here. Um, absolutely, please, uh, you know, bring a friend or a neighbor, or a family member, extend that invitation. Um, if you have read, on that note before i forget if you have read the membership book and you are um hoping to speak to um, an elder um, or tommy about um, becoming a member um, get send me an email at contact at com as soon as possible so that we can do that earlier in the week um, if you haven't yet. And then same for baptism if you were hoping to get baptized um, so that they, an elder or Tommy, um, can hear your testimony. So um, if that was something that you were hoping to do this 5th Sunday, um, shoot me an email uh, sooner rather than later on that. And then um, this book, Gentle and Lowly, um, A super generous donor uh, partnered with Crossway Publishers, who's the publisher of this book, um, and donated a a crazy amount of uh, copies. They wanted a bunch of church members to have this so churches could apply and ask for copies of this book. And we have a ton of them. So please, um, just to make sure we have enough for now, grab one per household. Um, They're right there in the lobby out in the front. just if you want to dig deeper on, uh, just the verse that Tommy preached on today and, uh, the heart, um, of Christ. If you are watching online today, know that this isn't just, well, you know, these are only for the people who come in person. Um, we know that there's a lot of, um, Family members and um, members and visitors and attenders who um, feel more comfortable watching online and that's okay We still want you to be able to get a copy of this book in your hands So um, if you would like a copy of the book um, And you are not coming in person currently send me an email um, at contact at GracelifeFlorida.com And we will find a way to get you this book um, ASAP whether we have to drop it off or mail it or anything Like that. Um, So please don't hesitate to reach out. We definitely want you to have a copy um, as well. And then lastly, I just wanted to remind you um, there's all sorts of ways that you can connect with us for prayer. Um, One being every Sunday morning um, after the service, you can go into the back and pray with our prayer team. And I wanted to highlight that they're also here in the morning before the service, um, as early as 9.30. So if you want to come um, 30 minutes early and get some prayer on a Sunday morning, that, um, that that's available uh, to you. That's not just an occasional thing or once a month. That's every single week. Um, and if you feel more comfortable um, getting relaying a prayer request to our prayer team, um, not in person, there's cards um, in the lobby. You can email us at prayer at gracelifeflorida.com um, or you can click contact us on our website and submit um, a contact form as well. We just um, wanna be praying for you and I just wanted to remind you that that's an everyday thing that's not just occasional. We have a prayer team that's um, you know, ready to pray over you and all the things that you have going on in your life. Um, you know, on a daily basis. Um, And that is all I have for you. So if you'd like to stand, we'll say our charge together before we go. It's a great reminder of why we're here and how we're going to carry this into the week. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.